0: And welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name is Victor, and welcome to another Film Club episode. This time I'm joined by Connor. Hello, Connor. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be back again. And this time also we are joined by Rosie. Welcome to the show, Rosie.
1: Hi, Victor. Thank you for having me.
0: So in this episode, we're going to be talking about The Meg. The Meg. I am very excited to discuss this movie. It's a fun monster movie type thing, so I'm excited to jump in. But before we do that, uh, Rosie, this is your first time on the show. Could you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I work at the Natural History Museum as a learning program developer. So I've got a lot of experience in delivering and developing educational sessions. But I think another thing that might be quite relevant to this film, I I worked for a few years as part of a conservation, marine conservation charity, um, working with manta rays. And whilst they're not quite sharks, they are part of that wider group. So definitely brought back a few memories of being in the ocean.
0: All right, so quick summary of the movie. So The Meg, it uh, was released in 2018 and was directed by John Turtletaub. And basically what happens in the film is there's a new ocean research facility that's just getting opened up. And the lead marine biologist has a theory that the Mariana Trench is not the deepest place on Earth, but is actually where this facility is built. But the reason it hasn't shown up on the deep radar or deep sonar is that there is this layer of water that's there. And so they explore down there, find out that his theory is true, and also discover that uh, the megalodon has not, in fact, gone extinct. And hijinks ensue. <laughs> um Let's let's kick off. What were your favorite things about the film? Um, Rosie, let's start with you.
1: Okay. well, I think maybe a symptom of being in lockdown for quite a long time, but I just loved seeing such amazing shots of the ocean. I was getting quite a lot of envy. I absolutely loved at the beginning when they did kind of get below the thermocline. You really got the impression that it was teeming with life. And I don't know if you guys have seen Finding Nemo, but there's a bit in Finding Nemo where there's just like tons of things swimming around. The coral reef kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Um, I thought it gave quite a nice impression. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the first thing that kind of jumped out of me is just the awesomeness and diversity that we could see in, in the ocean.
2: I think they did a really nice job with the kind of the production design when it came to all the scientific equipment and stuff. I thought it all looked really, really cool. I'm not sure on how realistic some of the equipment was, but it all looked really nice when they're in like the underwater base and you could see all of the uh, the ocean life swimming outside of the windows. Like Rosie said, I really liked how they made the ocean feel like a really dynamic place where lots and lots of uh, creatures coexisted. And actually, um, you you brought up Finding Nemo. I actually picked up there was a bit in which uh, Jason Statham's character sings Just Keep Swimming. So I'm guessing the director sort saw of finding Nemo too.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. That was a nice homage. And yeah. you mentioned you mentioned the research station there. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, wow, I wanna go there. Yeah.
0: Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really liked actually that opening scene where it's the um the main funder for the research station. He he's showing up for just a visit, I guess. He's never been there, even though he paid for it. And he's like, uh I thought this was like a world-class research institute. I would have expected a less industrial-looking like entrance as they're going down the lift, and then the door is open and you're like, "Wow, okay, yeah, this is this is an entrance." Yeah, so I I really liked the design of the um, research facility. I loved the transparent windows; so you can see everything swimming by. Yeah, and I same I had the same feeling when they go under the thermocline and suddenly there's all this life there. I thought that was really cool, really well done. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good little tidbits of marine biology scattered
2: throughout the film. There was a little moment that I spotted, like you were saying about little tidbits. Like there was a, for what kind of film this was, there was like a surprising amount of attention to detail. So there was a part when one of the subs was beneath the thermocline and they were showing one of the cameras on the outside of the sub. And it bumps against the squid and you can see the squid bounce off the camera. And then the squid inks as it swims out of frame and I thought that's like such a it's got nothing to do with the rest of the movie but it's like a lovely little piece of behavior that they put in there just just kind of for fun I thought that was a really nice touch little things like that
1: absolutely and I don't know if you guys would agree as well but like one of the things we know a lot about the Meg is the teeth we find the teeth of the real life Megalodon a lot and there were some real nice moments that celebrated the teeth as it were obviously there's lots of teeth everywhere but one in particular i'm thinking is when the young girl was standing in the research facility and the meg had bitten onto the side left this really nice impression of um, the jaws around her and she's so tiny in the middle another kind of little detail um, that i thought was really nice there as well yeah yeah yeah. i
2: i quite liked the design of the submarines as well i think they were really cool yeah, they looked a bit spaceship but were still within, the re- re- like, the realms of possibility, I felt. Like, yeah. they weren't so out there. The design of them is,
0: it's based on real existing, like, deep-sea subs. Like, oh, they, awesome. they do have that acrylic, or, I, I don't know if it's acrylic, or, like, a polycarbonate sphere. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then they've got, like, these engines and things around them. So it's, you know, yeah, as you said, it's not too far off probably they're a bit fancier than and more mobile than the ones that actually exist. Like, they were very nimble in the film.
1: <laughs> and I also think they probably took far more risks than the real-life underwater oh, captains would Yeah, take. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to bring it back to what Rosie was saying about the teeth, in that obviously you can learn so much about, uh, like, extinct shark's diet from its teeth. And they showed the uh, Megalodon feeding on a whale carcass, which I thought was really, really cool. Kind of paying homage. They did their did the homework in some parts for sure, which was really, really cool to see. I thought I was kind of expecting, we'll get on to like kind of what did happen with the shark, I think, in the next section. But like, I don't know, biting holes in boats and stuff. And that never happened, yeah. which was quite nice to see. Maybe perversely, I quite liked that
0: bit where it ate the whale because that's what we're pretty sure the megalodon's actual diet was, was whales. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I, I liked that moment, which is, again, it's a little hidden piece of marine biology. Or if you're like a real megalodon fan, then you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's real, yeah. that's true. Yeah, absolutely.
1: There were another couple of things towards the end that I noticed that I thought were a nice little, again, little things. Right Towards the end, when there were um we were at the beach, and there were tons of people swimming in the water, we had some nice underwater shots. I don't know if you guys noticed there were a couple of like bits of plastic in the water there were sunglasses at the bottom yeah. um, I thought it was like quite quite cool that they decided to they could have very easily not have included something like that,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the water had like a weird kind of tinge as well to it around those beach areas, which could have meant like some sort of pollution as well. It looked a bit more greenish, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, yeah, that was definitely yeah, something that they didn't need to put in, but they did. That
0: scene also gave me this sense of here is this prehistoric shark that's like emerged from the depths for the first time in in two million years, three million years. And what does it find? Humans have trashed the planet. So you, you I, I, anyways, had this little niggle of like, look at these people and how much trash they've created. They kind of deserve to be eaten <laughs> as like a, a fleeting thought that, that went through my head.
2: <laughs> I think by that point in the movie, I was like, anyone deserves to be eaten because it was getting close to the end. So I was just happy with any sort of carnage. That's all I look for in these movies. <laughs> um, but also on that note of um, the the Meg returning to to the ocean to find it devastated, there was a scene where it had attacked a, a vessel that had been hunting sharks because they yes. found a bunch of sharks missing their fins on, which I thought was really surprising because generally speaking these shark movies are not good for for positive shark press but they included that in there as kind of like a counterpoint and i think at one point when the characters even said like she's settling the score or something like that yeah yeah yeah
0: and i like that the um was it the director or something of the research institute is like all this for a
2: bowl of soup yeah 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 which (laughs) is
0: what the fins are are taken for which by the way now i'm i'm of Chinese background, I have had shark fin soup before I don't mm, I'm I must have had real shark fin soup before but shark fin has no flavor of its own it's used purely for texture and there is artificial shark fin that you can get which has exactly the same texture you can get the experience without actually needing shark fins
1: yeah it does make you kind of wonder as well like You can't watch this without thinking of Jaws in some way, shape or form. And of course, such a brilliant movie. But everyone does acknowledge that it perhaps has something to do with kind of the perception of sharks as these big mean killers and as villains. And that clip that you you have mentioned there where they come across these sort of shark finners did make me wonder if the kind of producers and writers of this film wanted to address that sort of side of things based on jaws's legacy as well Um, Mm. i thought it was quite nice to have in there surprised me as well for this this kind of film
2: yeah um on that on that note jaws as well i there's a little bit of trivia i don't know if you guys guys know but the author of the original book peter benchley was turns out he was like horrified that the impact his book and in subsequent movie had on the shark populations and then dedicated the last part like or the later portion of his life to conservation and died having been on the chairs of like many organizations dedicated to re-educating about sharks because he was just horrified at what had happened after his, he knew nothing of sharks when he wrote the book. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting that even the author kind of realized the the issue with, with, with the movie and his book.
0: So I think what we can do is perhaps move on to, Things we think this movie missed the mark on. And I want to jump off first this comparison with Jaws and the negative image of sharks that came out of that movie. And I think this movie, it still had that same effect (laughs) of making the ocean and sharks seem really scary. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The, the The shark did kind of go out of its way quite a few times just to snack on a tiny teeny little person uh, <laughs> any moment that anyone's in the water and they it locked onto them like a torpedo
1: yeah absolutely there were the odd kind of moment that the shark was really cool for example when I think it was two was in the, the cage and she was diving with the megalodon and she got the first kind of like full wide image of it and she was like wow um, there was the odd moment of that but i wanted to see more of that because as yeah. biologists that's what i'm thinking i'm like oh yeah it might it might kill someone but actually it's really awesome i would love to see a bit more of that sort of wow
0: yeah yeah i agree what they could have done is made the shark a misunderstood monster or like a an animal that's out of place with its time like some of that sense but what they what they did is they made it a scary monster, right? Where yeah. it, it does, it just continues the attacks. Like, I don't know if sharks would just keep eating and eating and eating in real life. But when you think about it, that Megalodon just ate two whales. <laughs> is it still going to be hungry for
2: some tiny snack morsel people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really good idea that you had there where they could have had an explanation like, it's scared, it doesn't know what, where it is it's never been above the thermocline and so it's just kind of seeing where it fits in in this world and so it's just like taking bites out of things to investigate them because that's what sharks do rather than swallow things whole no matter what <laughs> um including a massive shark cage uh, <laughs> um and just on that note about swallowing the shark cage this this megalodon was was huge this was was, was way bigger then we have evidence that they could get. I think they said in the film it was 21 to 27 meters long. And apparently the, the maximum that a megalodon could have got based on estimates from its teeth was 18 meters, an average of 10 meters. So there was there were two megalodons and there was one that was even bigger. So that thing could have been three or four times size the, of the real thing.
1: I think another thing that I was I think I was potentially more afraid of than the Megalodon itself with um, disregard for safety whilst diving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the, there was definitely, um, we definitely jumped through a few loopholes to make it look very easy and very safe. And there was a lot of rapid ascents and I was very fearful for their safety. So I, I think of course it's, uh, it's an action film, um, but it definitely did have me scared for that reason <laughs> alone. <laughs> Decompression sickness, Oh. Lung over-expansion injuries and everything like
2: that. <laughs> oh, there, was, yeah. there was quite a few uh, instances as well of people standing really close to the back of the boat, and then the moment the boat would move, they'd fall off. That happened at least four times in the film. And yeah, I think there was probably a criminal negligence suit in waiting for this company. Also, the fact that one of the lead scientist's children just wanders around this million-dollar Underwater lab at their leisure, just leaving their toys all over the place. I thought that was quite negligent as well. <laughs> and it's uh, incomplete as well, because there's still all this like construction
0: equipment lying around. Yeah. It's like a building site, and <laughs> this little kid is wandering around. <laughs>
1: well, I was convinced Jason, Jason Statham would find her like on board one of the ships at one point, like whilst he was at depth, because she was just chilling out on on yeah. one of the um, submersibles.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Also, um, the level at which the Megalus, uh, the megalodon was living from from unless I'm wrong from what we know mainly because they they were closer closer related to great white sharks of the modern day than than other living sharks. But those are mainly found in warmer, shallower waters. And I was just questioning whether the megalodon would go down to thousands and thousands of meters. And I know that they did say it was down there because ben- beneath the thermocline was warmer. But, yeah, it just seemed a bit strange to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wanted to bring that up as well. Th- a thermocline is a thing where you'll get these layers of very different water temperatures. Yeah. But you don't really get them where you've got warm water trapped below cold water because the warm water is less dense. So it's going to push through. It wouldn't just sit there in, in a layer like that. Yeah. So but I I don't know why they they it was a brief mention but when he's talking about his theory what he's saying is that at at that depth that layer um there's like a a layer of a certain chemical like it was a hydrogen yeah. sulfide or something yeah and so I could see that happening cuz you do get that kind of thing happening in the deep sea you can end up with um brine pools so pools of this like incredibly salty water which is more dense and so it pools and depressions but they chose to make it like a a temperature thing which is inaccurate so they could have made it a a chemical thing which could have been possible but yeah this other route
2: it's like they they did some they Mm -hmm. did some homework because they said the megalodon went extinct from basically climate change which is what has been shown in the fossil records that the whales could adapt and move to the colder poles because they're blubber and the megalodon was left behind. So I guess that's why they went for the temperature thing. But then, yeah, I I did kind of question the whole plausibility of there being a, basically a bubble of like a huge, a huge kind of environment, not like a small, an environment big enough to hold multiple giant sharks and giant squid as well. That thing was a kraken. (laughs) by the looks of it
1: (laughs) it would have been nice to have a little bit of flavor there of some theories as to how this bubble um is still going several millions of years later and
0: i did like the detail of all of the um the vents there the like black smokers so it's like okay there's a source of heat there i can see and a source of you know chemical so i can see how that would kind of set set it up but what we know about those formations yeah. is that they're they're a temporary feature more often. I don't know what you thought of this, but I thought that while I really really liked that scene where they first go under and they they do a bit of exploration down there and there's all this life and I really liked that bit and I wish there was a bit more of that, but I was wondering what you felt about the movie perhaps giving you an unrealistic expectation of how much you're going to see when you dive underwater especially in the open ocean which is where this was because there's it's not super dense you're not going to just dive down and see all kinds of stuff
1: yeah i felt i felt like the um the whales that casually lived um by the research station i thought was either great luck or maybe they had to have to train them to be there there was a lot of um creatures around for them to see i haven't done a huge amount of open water dives but you know You can get to some areas where it's like really quarantine, you've got tons of sharks around, things like that. I think there was definitely a very high concentration of sharks in that film. I did quite like at the end, without worrying too much about spoiler alerts, I did quite like at the end when the Megalodon does finally meet its demise, suddenly there are a lot of sharks coming um, to tear it apart. And I did quite like the fact that it sort of returned to nature and there was the sharks taking care of it in the end, but it did seem like quite a lot of sharks and quite quickly. However, I did like the fact that the majority of them completely ignored Jason Statham because I feel like that would probably be quite accurate. They would go straight for the rotting flesh, spilling blood everywhere.
2: I was just rewinding a little bit to the, the whales. I was outside of the, uh, the facility. I was thinking the same thing, but they, they dropped in a line saying that they were playing whale calls to, to draw them over. And so I looked into that and that has been done in the past. To kind of lure whales out of like some, it was like a younger whale swimming up a river, and they played whale calls at the mouth, and it turned around and this, and managed to get back out of the the uh, the river um, before stranding itself. So I thought that was that was kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know if it would it, it, you know bring bring all of them over like a whole pod, but uh, I, you know they had that at least. <laughs> there was one other thing I wanted to point out about the megalodon shark itself. Something I picked up on with the way it was animated when it was swimming is that its skin looked quite baggy. Like its skin would ripple a lot as it swam. And from my understanding, sharks are designed to be, well, not designed, but they've evolved to become really, really streamlined and really smooth. And there was just points at which this film, um, when the megalodon would turn around in the water, it was almost like it had layers of fat kind of like rippling along its sides and i i I don't know if that would have been accurate or not because you don't really see that with with live sharks today
1: yeah they do tend to be very streamlined very torpedo like
2: yeah Um,
1: absolutely
2: quite tight skin yeah yeah
0: i wonder if you could perhaps argue that that might have been something that happened because they're trapped in not a very big habitat down at the bottom, yeah. so they wouldn't need that same kind of really high speed chase yeah. physiology so much. Yeah. So, and, and probably I would imagine it's, it would be colder in that area, so you'd have this mm. like fat layer maybe.
2: Yeah. Oh, I also like that idea how, I mean, they might not have thought this much into the actual design of the shark, but it's been, you know, at least, they say in the film, two million years. I mean, it's probably close to three million they've been extinct. But it, it could have, it could, have uh, could have, had some more adaptations in that, in that time span, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I guess one thing we, like, it's probably quite relevant to talk about as well is, the behavior of this animal it lived in a very dark very high pressurized environment if we were to think of an animal that is kind of taken out of its natural habitat um in the real world and we placed it in a brand new one i guess we would expect it to act quite erratically however it makes you think about the vision of this animal has it ever seen daylight before attacked attacking people in quite broad daylight and um I guess I I kind of picked up on a little bit of trivia about the, the co- coloration of the animal, um, and you mentioned how it's quite similar uh, to a great white shark. However, in the novel, I re- um I I saw a bit of a fact toy trivia. Um, apparently, originally in the novel, it was a completely all white creature because of the fact that it lived in a very dark environment. Um, That's however that was quite hard to render quite hard for the animators to replicate. So they went for that classic kind of great white coloration. Um, but we were left kind of wanting a little bit of behavior explanation um, how it can see so well in this bright light.
2: Yeah. There's one point where one of them jumps clean out of the water and onto the, the deck of a boat. And yeah, it probably would have been blinded <laughs> if its eyes were used to being like, yeah, thousands and thousands of meters below. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. And
0: going way back to, like, decompression, if you've got a, an animal that's living so deep in the ocean, coming up to the surface, it's not just the light, it's also the pressure
2: would be really damaging to it. Maybe that's why it was so, its skin looked so loose when it came up to the surface. It <laughs> <laughs> Got stretched out. Maybe is they thought of it. <laughs>
0: is there anything that you wish that the movie had done more or that you you wanted them like any themes that you wanted them to do a bit more with like i wish that they had spent a bit longer in that initial ocean exploration phase um just to really build up the sense of like wonder um i was a little bit disappointed at just how short it was
1: Um, I think I think there might have been room for exploring other options than just killing it. Um, I think it became the bad guy or girl very quickly. And there was the odd kind of comment of like regret that we're going to have to kill it. But I think there was definitely room for a little bit more of a conversation about how they had almost created this situation and what a shame it was that they were going to have to, um, you know, kill this creature. I, th- I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more discussion, or at least excusing themselves, or excusing the situation, really trying to find an alternative, whatever that might be.
2: I think that's a that's that's a great point. That's that I feel like that's how I felt as well watching it. It'd have been nice to have a bit more of like an eth- ethical kind of discussion over like killing an animal that was assumed extinct for so long before. Like anyone can even realize it's back and stuff, but I understand. Like I understand what kind of film <laughs> they set out to make, and it wasn't that type of film. But that said, though, there was a, a Godzilla film, like a, a, one of the Japanese ones that came out a few years ago, and it treated Godzilla as if it was like a, nat- a natural disaster. And so as scenes with scientists having meetings in boardrooms and politicians arguing and nothing really getting done and it being treated like a wholly realistic like response to it, and I thought, obviously, this is not that kind of film, but it would be kind of funny to see a Meg film like that where it's just... It would be like, what would happen if this actually was a thing that we'd come across? I, I just like that idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I think they... They actually did have a humane way to do it because they had anesthetic on board. But instead of using it to anesthetize the shark, they wanted to overdose it and, like, kill it with the anesthetic. I'm (laughs) like, why did you need to go all that way now that you mention it? They could have used a lower dose, knocked it out, brought it back
2: down. (laughs) That's a really good point, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll just use enough to kill it. You know, we got enough. We may as well use the whole supply.
1: <laughs> I think you make a good point, though, Connor. Like, we were potentially not the audience they were trying to satisfy no. yes. with those sort of things. Um, yeah. And the action may have been somewhat of them um, did reduce if they yeah. had a yeah. cool of, yeah. <laughs> of eight.
2: <laughs> I, I love a good shark movie, though, as much as like, I, I'm a really big fan of the one Deep Blue Sea, which is probably even more of a discussion to be had in terms of inaccuracies. But, yeah, they
0: can be fun. I actually really love Deep Blue Sea. I think it it, it does really well with this one because I think the, the shark in that one is a bit more um, sympathetic. There's more of a reason yeah. there because they've genetically engineered it because they want to, like, extract a chemical from the shark's brain to yeah. treat Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so it's this, like, super intelligent shark with, like, a giant brain you develop more empathy for the characters I think where this was more of a fun monster movie yeah Yeah.
1: that said I I think it actually really surprised me we've mentioned like lots of like little moments little homages little mentions of things that actually I I didn't expect there to be them at all um and there was there was something else I kind of noticed towards the end I don't know if this was an intended sort of visual but there was a scene when the Megalodon was swimming beneath the swimmers on the beach. um, And there were these platforms that the swimmers were jumping on and off and they were attached to these anchors with these long chains. And there were a couple of scenes where um, the Megalodon swam around and these chains almost wrapped around their fins. And that really reminded me of what we used to see with manta rays with fishing line really wrapped around them, cutting into their skin. And it just, Kind of look just like that and i don't know if that was an intended sort of visual and intense sort of reference but it, it really did make me think of just maybe a potential other thing that they they had thrown in there
0: there are a lot of those moments of like pointing out ecological concerns like current ecological concerns in the film and again it might have been nice to turn that into more of a theme rather than like an element that's dotted yeah. in there they could have built on that mm. a, a little bit in the way that Ian Malcolm builds yeah. on this this concept of like tampering with nature. Like he turns it into a theme that builds throughout Jurassic Park, and mm. so you you develop a sense of empathy for the dinosaurs in a way that in this one you don't quite get there, not quite develop the sense of empathy for this shark being a creature that's out of its own time kind of thing. Yeah. I think if they had done that, they, they could have it could have been a, a different movie. It could have been a bit closer to something like Jurassic Park, where you empathize a bit more with the shark.
1: I think you're absolutely right. It wasn't too far away from what they were doing. They they begun the right sort of um the steps. Yeah.
2: The, that when they got to that bit that you're talking about the end though, it seemed they, they yeah, they completely just kind of like, but we got a beach full of people. We got we got a little dog called Pippin, like in Jaws. <laughs> we had a, a dog called Pippin in Jaws, and it just seemed like they're like, yeah, let's just let's make Jaws times ten at the end with this machine of a shark. And unfortunately, those those kinds of little little blips of of, of environmental messaging just kind of like melted melted away. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I do feel that like the last twenty minutes of the movie, it's is a very different movie. Like suddenly, yeah. it is Jaws.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It really just changes. And I, I mean, to be fair, that's how you market your film. You show the world's largest shark on the, the world's busiest beach. Right. You know, so I mean, yeah. quite, yeah. quite uh, reductive, though. And if we're talking about the, the, the time since Jaws has been 50 years, which is like it's like decades in terms of conservation. The amount of conservation that has been put into place over those years. And this film, apart from those tiny little bits, it does the exact same thing as Jaws and makes the beach look like a scary place where you don't want to go because big monsters will eat you. And that was quite disappointing.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I hadn't actually thought of it like that, actually. I was holding it up to a similar kind of expectation, a similar kind of responsibility. But you are absolutely right. We are so much further on in terms of conservation, understanding and loving and caring for our planet. And in that respect yeah it actually kind of lets things down um just because it's doing things better than maybe other films are and has the odd nod doesn't mean it's actually where we should be I think that's a really um really interesting point Connor
0: I think this one left me a bit more with that sense of being afraid of what's down in the deep in in a way that it's been a long time since I've seen Deep Blue Sea but I don't think I had that same Mm -hmm. feeling that comes out of Deep Blue Sea because it's in this one, it's not a it's not a special odd shark. It's like a natural shark that's just lurking down there in the deep. Whereas in Deep Blue Sea, it's this engineered creature. So it's a one off. So in this one, you get this sense that anything could be lurking down in the deep, which maybe is what the, they were going for. But again, it, it gives you a very different feeling, and and could you lead you to, to a very different relationship with with the water?
2: Yeah. I think that, that's that's really well put. Yeah, those those sharks in Deep Blue Sea were like, it was almost like you were talking about Jurassic Park earlier, but they're like, they're not natural. Like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are like mutants as well. And those sharks kind of fit under that. I have one really big positive that none of us have brought up yet. Um, I can hold on to it though, if we, if we want to continue with this, uh, Rosie Victor. I have one really big negative. How about we end on the positive? So one thing
0: that I did not like in the film is after they have dealt with the first shark, after they've killed it, they've hauled it back up on the boat and they're treating it like a trophy animal. And if these were sport fishermen, I would not have had a problem with that. But these are marine biologists. They're scientists. I would have expected them to have a different reaction to taking out this this one of a kind creature, right? That they thought had been extinct for millions of years and they found it's alive and they've had to kill it. And yeah. So I, I did not like that portion.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's very fair to say. I imagine they would be extremely in awe of it. Like if I was there with that, I would definitely be taking pictures and measurements and things like that. But the kind of tone of that interaction with this what is now a specimen I guess Um, yeah it would be slightly different I think
2: would be sticking your head in its mouth and taking a selfie Uh, especially if that's the same shark that killed his best friend like a few hours ago and now it's a joke yeah that's a good point as well (laughs) but again
0: it was an opportunity for them to have taken the film and, and make it a bit more sensitive like they yeah. could have spent a bit more time talking about the, the fact that oh, they could have learned a lot more from this but you know because of the havoc that it would wreak they've had to kill it they could have spent some time there to dwell on that a bit longer but they chose not to
2: i think there was something i mean and and just building off of that this the strongest voice in the movie was the lead played by Jason Statham, who was, uh, he wasn't one of the scientists, he was more of a uh, a rescue team. And so, but then the, the, the female lead of the film was the marine biologist, but he completely dominated her voice in pretty much all of their scenes. And I think maybe if she, her character had been given more screen time and more agency in the film, we would have got what you're kind of talking about, Victor, but unfortunately they kind of opted for the hyper masculine kind of we've got to get this done and kill the shark, kind of guy instead of (laughs) the scientist character so i think that was a fundamental flaw in the way the film was set up yeah yeah
0: i will say that she was she was a very capable character yeah but what i was noticing as well is that in every case jason statham needed to save her exactly
2: Yeah.
1: yeah yeah absolutely um i think it was definitely positive that there was a you know a female marine biologist and also i believe was it jacks one of the other kind of engineers um she, uh, you know that she was also a female and it seemed to me that the film passed the Beckdale test so like yeah had two named female characters that spoke to each other about something other than just jason statham or i don't know if you could would if you would count the meg as a male character then maybe it wouldn't <laughs> pass the test but i think kind of in conventional terms it does yeah so, Again, silver linings, but maybe not still quite where we would want to be.
2: That was actually part of what my big positive was for the film, was that you had a science team made up of all types of people, which was really, really cool. It was an international team with people of all ethnicities, genders, and the actors also they chose to portray those roles as well. Like They got um, someone who's a quite famous openly LGBTQ plus actor in uh, Ruby Rose, I believe her name is, um, to play one of the scientists. So I thought that was pretty good representation for a film like this of people in those scientific roles, which was awesome. And I thought that was a really big positive and it's something you notice quite um, instantly, I feel, because of the international nature of
1: the team. That was definitely something that I picked up on as well. And it, yeah, it was nice to see, such a team working together for sure even though they were trying to kill an amazing shark it was (laughs) nice to see them doing it together (laughs) i i
0: also quite like that they called out all the various different roles that are involved in doing this kind of research right like you had um the person who is in charge of running the station who kind of deals with logistics and all that kind of stuff and then you had the marine biologist who goes down, you had an engineer who constructed and built all this stuff. Um, I'd like that they called out all those different roles. It's kind of this little window on, like, you don't have to love swimming and being in the ocean to be involved in this kind of work. Like, this work also involves all these other different roles yeah, and these different yeah. people. Yeah. I had um, one recommendation for people who might want to help young kids who have an interest in sharks sort of further that interest. It's a um, a picture book, children's book, called Shark Lady, the story of Eugenie Clark. Eugenie Clark is a uh, ichthyologist. She's American, and she did a lot of work on shark behavior. Did either of you have any other recommendations for things for people who might want to get more into sharks, marine biology?
1: Don't be afraid of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I think obviously it's a dangerous place and it shouldn't be taken um lightly there are risks of course there are but that's why you you think about things and you plan things and you plan what happens when things go wrong um but I think fear of this big lurking thing beneath the surface if you can get over that it's it's the best experience to get your head under the water and it's it yeah completely eye opening completely life changing and um, if you were curious don't let this put you off
2: <laughs> that's really a good point yeah and just off the top of my head I remember that the um the director James Cameron went down to the bottom of the trench and he did a, a documentary called Deep Sea Challenge and I think that would just be a it's a documentary and it's someone who actually went down to the bottom so if people want to get an idea of like the actual technology that could do that this is an award-making filmmaker and it's a documentary about that so i think that would probably be worth watching if someone wants to get more idea on how that would work
1: that sounds amazing there's also the um nautilus deep sea rover that um, i believe stream free um wonderful kind of live and semi-live um images of of what they're investigating down there
0: yeah that's really fabulous actually that uh, nautilus live i think is their youtube channel but yeah it is it's this ship it's. A, I don't think it's um, affiliated with any particular institution. It's kind of its own research entity. And it literally just sails around the ocean and has, I think, a couple of deep-sea remotely operated vehicles. Um, and they stream live to YouTube. When they are doing that, when they're at a site, you can go to their YouTube channel and you can ask them questions. And the people who are operating the rovers will also like answer your questions. So it's really great. Um, and for anyone who's super-duper keen... That is actually part of this program. They will actually take people who are interested in marine biology and science communication on these expeditions. So I, I believe the people that you're hearing, they're actually people who have signed up for this program. So it's kind of it's part of them practicing science communication. So that is a really excellent program. So if you're really.
1: whilst I apply for yeah. <laughs> this <wellness> live program. <laughs>
0: So the last recommendation, uh, this is going to go out during National Marine Week, which goes from July 25th until August 9th. Um, So it's actually two weeks long. So just search National Marine Week and all kinds of conservation and wildlife organizations are running programs with the marine biology kind of theme. And as always, complete show notes will be up on our website, which is at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. You can send us questions or comments at knowingnaturepodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at kn_podcast. And the last thing to do is say thank you to my guests, Connor and Rosie. Thanks for being on the show. And thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs> thank
2: you so much for having us, Victor.
1: Thank you very much.